Dr. Robin Axelrod. On my drive to work one morning, I thought, how could I promote unity between OT and OTA students? How could I foster communication and leadership skills and promote our amazing profession? Welcome to my OT Journey podcast. Welcome to the My OT Journey podcast. Today, I have a special guest. Before we start, I wanted to mention TrueLearn. TrueLearn is an amazing program that you must try. Have you tried it already? It's a study bank for students. Use code ROBIN20 for a discount on your purchase. So we're back. We are here today with Marlon Sobel, who is a professional percussionist and board-certified music therapist who has performed extensively throughout the world. I had the pleasure with my students of having Marlon facilitate a group activity or a group meeting um, during one of our Student Occupational Therapy Association meetings this semester at LIU Brooklyn. And it was an amazing experience. I can't even tell you the feelings and emotions and the good vibes that came out of that experience. And I'm so grateful that Marlon is here today to share some of his experiences with you. Welcome, Marlon. Well, thank you so much for having me. And congrats on uh, the position and uh, all the great things you're doing. Thank you so much. So let's start from the beginning. Can you share with our listeners what made you choose this profession? What led you to this area of practice? Start from the beginning. Share with us. So I come from a very musical family. My father was a professional clarinet player, a music producer, and also a music educator. And he ran a music program out in Smithtown, Long Island in uh, Suffolk County. He was the the district band uh, uh, director. So he, he oversaw the music program from elementary school to middle school through high school. And um, while he was had a a job at a school during the day, he was performing at Carnegie hall and Lincoln center at night all throughout the 1970s. And when I was born in 1980, so he lived this dual life of, of high level virtuosic performer, but very grounded music educator. And my mother is also a classical pianist and also a music educator. And she found, she started working with, um, um, what, what she called back then special learners. So she worked in the BOCE school system in Long Island and, um, worked with people with autism and, and, um, and all types of, of, of things that we are familiar with today. And I sort of had a combination growing up with, of performance, music education, helping people uh, uh, with music. And um, that sort of were like the seeds for me to carve my own path in the field of music therapy. I didn't know that there was a field. Um, I didn't have a human resource uh, person say there's this field called music therapy. I thought you could either choose to be a performer or an educator. And there's college programs for both. And you have to choose. What do you want to do? Music education, then you have to get in that degree program. But I, So I went into the performance degree program uh, at the Mont- Manus College of Jazz at the New School in Manhattan. And I was there 1998 through 2002. And uh, I was a percussion major, a jazz performance major um, with a focus on drum set and percussion instruments. By my junior year, I was... Uh, you know, besides just personally struggling a little bit um, on a personal level and uh, through great divine providence, I enrolled in a class called um, a a creative arts therapy certificate program with Dr. Luis Montello. 
And this wasn't like a nationally board certified music program, but it gave you a two year flavor of what music therapy is and the creative arts therapies do. And I, uh, I, I, I really, I really fell in love with, um, the the with with her number one her approach the things she was saying from like a performance wellness standpoint for myself but it wasn't until two years after i enrolled in that program there that i did an internship at beth abraham and i had the opportunity to work with a uh, a person and i mentioned this at the uh at the event that we did together and uh that's what really solidified me to say, wow, I really find this very meaningful to be working in these clinical settings and working with people that, um, you know, are, are, don't really care about the fame or the entertainment value. Um, they're, they're, it's, I felt that music was being used in a much purer form um, outside of all of the, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, competitiveness and success driven uh you know um environments that that the performance world had to offer so i I found i found myself being more me in that that world and and that's when i wanted to pursue it it's so interesting so sort of from your childhood you were exposed to this and you know that sort of gave you some type of foundation but you really chose your own path and i think that's amazing Um, can you tell me, you know, did you have any doubts or were you unsure about whether this would work or not? If you really wanted to do this, like what was your you know, thought process at that time? Or were you, you know, like, this is for sure going to go and, you know, um, super passionate about it. Well, for, for me, um, things sort of, sort of just led, led one thing to the next. And it was all kind of a journey of, of personal growth. And, and I just, I just landed in it. So I didn't, I didn't really like enroll in this thing and say, Oh, let me commit to four years of learning this and seeing how, how it works out. And I, I sort of just went with it. And from that internship at Beth Abraham, I called Dr. Tomano and I said, you know, I really like this work. Can I just stay on board as an intern? And, and she said, yeah, you can, but there's this opportunity in white plains in this therapeutic recreation department, they're looking for a music person. I wasn't certified at the time. Um, I was like, Whoa, you're so I could get experience and get paid. You know, I remember I made like $32,000 a year. I thought that was like huge money at the time, that number. Um, and, uh, and so that was in 2002 and, and I, and I just started doing music in a nursing and subacute rehab. And I didn't know at all what I was doing. It was total sink or swim. And, I remember the first week I was there, I I couldn't even, I didn't really have, like, I really identified as a percussionist. So I couldn't lead a group in song and I didn't consider myself a vocalist or anything like that, but I had to lead programming. I had to, I had to, I had to sing songs. I had to do things that I, I, I wasn't quote unquote trained, you know, I didn't, you know, or the way, you know, the way music uh, education set up is like you pick your instrument and, part of what I loved about music therapy is, is that you're not picking your instrument. You're, 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 you're trying to be as expansive as possible to, to bring out that expansiveness in your clients or to, to, you know, to, to help growth on some level or to have therapy on some level. So um, I started recognizing a lot of the limitations that 
I, I was raised with it just through the environment of like boxing yourself in. And, and I felt that the music therapy field working in that position forced me to come out of myself and, and do what the music needed. And, and that's when I started to, to sing melodies and, and play the piano a lot more and play the marimba. And, and it was all like kind of to survive it, but then it ended up like, I ended up really thriving in it and, and developing my own style and, and really working from a standpoint of like what works and what doesn't work. So I didn't have to like weed through all this theoretical application that, so I'm going to get to like, I, I took sort of an alternate route in getting myself certified and, and I, and like my students who are at universities, what happens is that they have all the ther ther theoretical foundations, but then once they get into the live setting, they're like, Whoa, this wasn't, how come it didn't work like the textbook said, or, or I tried it. I thought it would be so anyway, there's your challenges of, of going the, the route of the world of academia and then straight into the, the you know, the, 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 the real life setting. So, so for me, I, I, I went kind of backwards. It was like what worked. And then I sort of studied all the theoretical, um, you know, foundations after that to sort of see, Oh, I see how, how, how that can work that theory with this. So it was kind of like a street smart way of, of, of doing it. But, um, uh, so anyway, so from 2002 to 2004, I wasn't certified and they had an option of like an alternate route certification, which you needed a thousand clinical hours. And it was sort of like, a a, a, a conversion, uh, you get rejected three times. So, <laughs> you know, they're like, they, they don't want you to go uh, generally, they don't want you to take this route. And, and I understand why, because there's potentially a lot of things you might miss and, um, and it's uh, not recommended. But anyway, I had Dr. Connie Tomino and Benedict Skybe, so like giants in the field endorsing me and, and supervising me. And, and they gave me the letters. Nonetheless, I did get rejected two times from sitting for the boards, but by that third time, I, I was able to sit for the board examination and I passed it and based off of all the experience I had. And, and that's sort of how I became board certified as a music therapist. Wow. That is that's so inspirational. And it sounds like it was just meant for you. Like things just came your way. And, um, you know, of course, a lot of hard work, but definitely um, sounds like you've chosen the area that suits you. And um same thing with occupational therapy, you know, with students, they're not always sure, you know, where their career is going to lead them. And some students, you know, are different than others. And every student has their own passions and interests. And I think it's important to really um, let things just work themselves out. And, you know, I feel like at that point, it sort of leads you to what you're meant to be doing which is great. And it sounds like, like that sort of happened with you. Um, you know, it sounds like you've had a lot of success and I know you were, you were really wonderful when you came to LIU. Can you share um, maybe an experience that you're super proud of and then maybe a failure that you've had? Cause I know for myself, you know, I've had many failures and we all fail at sometimes. Um, if you could share with our students um, just maybe one story of success and one failure so that they can understand. Right. Right. So like I said before, like I learned through a sink or swim uh, way. So it's like this was uh, 2002, my first week on the job. Uh, I was working at a place called the Schnurmacher Center for Rehab and Nursing, subacute rehab and a nursing center. And it was on the fifth floor. And this was my first program. So I didn't have anybody 
I didn't mentor with anybody. So I w- it was sink or swim, you, you know, go out there and provide a, pro- a music program uh, for them. So I came with my djembe strapped to myself right off the elevator. And I figure I'll just come out, you know, lift up the environment, get it, you know, have a great big smile and, um, you know, bring them to life with positivity. So I get off the elevator, start drumming a beat. And this lady wheels herself up to me and digs her hands on my hand really hard, fingernails inside my hand and like stops my drumming and probably tells me to to shut up and and get out of here like it was i remember feeling like like rejected times 10 and and actually like i didn't even know what to do after that so that was another you know lesson of how to how to deal with rejection and but let's just start with you know my approach so that didn't work for this person and and i was like why like who doesn't like drums you know like at least you know bringing a little beat you know you think who you know, so what I realized is that number one, this person doesn't know me at all. There's no rapport. There's no safety. There's a, I'm, I'm a total stranger to her. Not only that, I'm, I'm playing an instrument that she probably never saw before prop from a different culture. There was no melody. There was no recognizable tune for her to recognize. So at the end of the day, from the way she perceived it was that she didn't feel safe and I was intruding and I was disrupting her, her day. And she wasn't having that. So, so I said, what, what do I do from here? So then I realized that I think I need to learn a melody. And if she recognizes that I'm singing a recognizable melody for her, or I play a melody, at least she's going to associate with me that I'm not, someone here to disrupt her life, but potentially enhance her life. So I started researching the repertoire of that age group, you know, um, and, you know, either they tell me the more higher functionings would just tell me the songs that they liked and what they responded to. Well, and they actually had a previous um, music therapist there and they'd tell me what she played. So I started learning some of this, these tunes but I never considered myself a vocalist or to use my voice in, you know, to lead a group. So I said, all right, I'm going to start with these songs. I started with you are my sunshine with, with uh, he's got the whole world in his hands. And some of these, uh, these, you know, childhood, uh, these, these songs that, that they, they sang from childhood. And I would sing them and lightly accompany them on the djembe and slowly, this person started to associate myself with something she was familiar with, my drum with now a song that was safe and familiar. And I started going from there. And from, from there, I started uh, uh, learning how to accompany myself on piano and on marimba. But what I learned is that if we don't establish safety and familiarity, we're not going to get very far with any of the therapeutic goals we're working on. And that applies to children and and adults. And it really applies to any, anybody that for for people to open up to you, that needs to be established. And so that's one of the reasons why I sort of open up with um, at 
from our program that we did together with an introduction of my percussion instruments. So they could just get to know a little bit who I am, what I'm able of doing that, that for the next 45 minutes, I'm going to be their leader or their facilitator. And they could trust me with bringing them into this world of, of unified rhythm making. So that, that was the failure. That's a, that's a failure for sure. That's really lear the learning experience. Uh, what about something that you're super proud of? So, um, so in general, I'm, I'm something I'm, I'm, I take uh, pride in is that I, I work with such a diverse group of people all the time from kids in schools to geriatric settings, to assisted living, to nursing homes, to, to developmentally to delayed, to, 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 to simchas and, 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 more entertaining settings to people with people from all racial backgrounds, from all religious backgrounds. So I, I really pride that, that through the years, um, uh, I guess I've developed the skill to, to, to connect with them and just, and, 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 and amplify the, the commonality. And with music, it's easy to do so um, in particular with rhythm, because, everybody everybody except for this person in 2002 connects to rhythm you know mm -hmm. um, but but once familiarity and safety are established like the sky's the limit so many things can happen so i i i i just wanted to say that but in terms of like just the many clinical experiences or just experience through the years is um, when people, when I'm at, uh, you know, a party or, uh, let's say, uh, like a, a Sheva Brachas event, um, which is for the listeners that don't know what that is. It's like after someone's married, they, um, have a celebration and for seven days after, and you'll have like a grandpa, an alter Zadie, a grandpa and like, you know, a newborn child all like interacting in a way that they never would have if music wasn't there, if a facilitator wasn't there, if the drums weren't there and someone that knows how to bring that out and bridge those uh, generational gaps. So uh, that's something I just still get excited about um, when, when that could happen. And then as far as like clinical experiences, there was one time I was working with a Brazilian lady that had dementia and she wasn't responding to the physical therapist's verbal cues so whether it was okay we're going to get up and walk now 30 feet um they, they weren't getting anywhere with that she she was uh she wasn't uh motivated to do it and uh or maybe she didn't understand it but whatever it was she definitely plateaued um uh and was going to get kicked off of, of of therapy because you can't you have to show progress as you know so they called me in because she they knew that she responded to music. So I started to sing her name um, uh, for all intents and purposes. Well, let's just call her Sylvia right now. And I remember singing. I was I just learned the ukulele, um, so I was playing simple three chord thing. And I said, and I stood right next to her, made eye contact, and I said, Sylvia is walking. La 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 la, and just like v verbally guided her through the song, and like 
and like visually showed her and she got up. The PTs are right there. And she must have walked to like 30 feet right there. The PTs are like, whoa, okay, we are keeping her on, no discharges. And this became like a bot, like twice a week we do this. She ended up walking the whole hallway to the window and back. It was probably like 150 feet. And it was just like it was a, it was like a typical success story of someone that would have been just canned from the program. And uh and music wow. really was, you know. So, so, and, and I have a lot of stories like that, but but the, uh, that one is is vivid in my mind. Sounds like there's so much, um, so much you know, gravitation in your work, and and so much joy that comes with your work, and um, I think that's really amazing. And also the progress, you know, patient progress is, you know, it's hard, especially you know with the older adults. Um, it's get it's hard to get anyone motivated, really. But um, I think music is a great motivator, so I'm glad you're able, you know, to use that, and definitely for the benefit of others. Um, so thank you for sharing that with us. Can you tell me um, about, you know, um, what your daily, you know, schedule looks like? I know I've seen on LinkedIn, you've had a lot, you know, you go to all different types of events and you're at assisted livings and, you know, do you um, tailor the programs to um, the clientele? Do you tailor the programs to the needs? How do you run your um, business? And if you could tell us about Comitams and what it is. Yeah, sure. So, all right. Um, so I was always working for a facility from 2002 until this year in February. I worked at the nursing and subacute rehab during the day for 17 years. And then I was at a place called the Ambassador of Scarsdale, which is a, uh, an assisted living. And I was there for about four years. Um, in February of this year, I, I started Comitoms, which is a made-up word. It's an acronym for which stands for Keep On Moving Interactive and Therapeutically Oriented Music Services. And um, I was like, what what really what really captures like you know what overall what I want to bring? And and it's at the end of the day, it's keep on moving, like keep trying. If you could move your finger, if you could shake the Morocco once, if you, whatever you could do, just keep on moving. So I just love that, um, that idea. And then I started working with video. So, so, so let me backtrack in 2010. So I was working about eight years already. I realized that after the music programs, I do four music programs a day. There were still tons of, of gaps in the day where people were sort of just watching commercial TV or, and there wasn't a focused um, time in between the programs that were on the calendar of intentional programming. So I made this CD and it was called Keep On Moving. And it was an audio CD that I collaborated with the IMNF, the Institute for Music and Neurologic Function in the Bronx. Mm. And um, that was the, facility that Dr. Oliver Sachs was associated with. And that, that was uh, who I was connected to with Beth Abraham. And, and that's Dr. Tomano's organization. And so I've always been connected to them. And I approached them. I said, I think if we come up with a project, okay, sorry, let me backtrack even more. In 2006, the New York State Department of Health gave a grant to the IMNF uh, for a dementia grant. And they, and Dr. Tomano said, Marlon, we want you to 
um, we're going to utilize this grant money to make a video on, on how to do interactive drumming programs with people with dementia. So this is, so they, they had a nice uh, budget for that. And, um, and they came to Schnurmacher where I was working and they had a professional film crew come in. And that was like my first um, documentation that, that this intervention or this program has benefit and it reaches people that have lost their ability to, to verbally process, uh, you know, uh, verbal instructions and that there's so much still that can be done and so much, so many therapeutic benefits. So, so we did that together and it wasn't, it was more instructional. Like, so if you were a caregiver or a recreation therapeutic professional, you'd see this and be like, okay, this works. So if I develop the skills, to facilitate this, I might be able to do this. Now, that's great, but you have to develop the skills to do it. And that's not a small task. So in 2010, I said, wow, we need a tool that after I leave or other people leave, the caregiver could just put something on and it's created with all this clinical experience and with all these goals in mind. So we did an audio CD. And what we did was we combined the melodies of Irving Berwicklin and George Gershwin and Cole Porter that the elderly residents were familiar singing. And we put these reggae rhythms and reggae grooves to it that the Caribbean care staff was, was more inclined to, to engage with. And we made this fusion CD and it was, it was awesome, you know? So like both parties had a natural intuition to, to, to engage with it. So, we, we pressed the CDs, we did in-services, we, you know, we handed the CDs out, we sold it to other facilities, and it was great. But what ended up happening is that the, the caregivers, the CNAs, they put it on, but the TV was on, and then the radio was on also, and they weren't really facilitating anything as I envisioned. I thought they'd put it on, and that would be the centerpiece, and they'd be able to facilitate. So I said, okay, this is still too esoteric for them. So I think it needs to be visual. So then in 2014, three, four years later, I started creating these home low budget uh, production videos in-house at the facility with the nurses. And we do chair exercises and we do um, simple sing-alongs, not at high production value. And I created a Vimeo channel, our own Vimeo channel. And you'd see this nurse and the caregivers were like, Oh, that's so cool. That's Sharon or that's this person. And then they're seeing them in a different light. And that just kind of brought the, the morale up a little bit. Also, it's very, as you could imagine, it's a very draining job and, and the burnout is, is very real. So it sort of like brought some excitement and it filled in those gaps after the program. And I said, wow, this could be something if this is done at a higher production value. And, and so the year later i so my father passed in 2016 and he was always throughout the years he's like you really got to set up a non-for-profit you can get grants the, the 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 essence of your work is is really in that non-profit world so he was always saying that i was like okay but i didn't know how to do it and so um so after that i said i gotta do this so it just so happened again, this is a story of my life. One, it just falls into place. My friend who I was playing music with 
just started a non-for-profit. It was called like the Connecticut Jazz Society. And he's like, he's like, yeah, we just started a non-for-profit. You know, I'll send you the papers. You plug in all your information in there. I was like, really? So it was like on my lunch breaks for that week, I was like, you know, I'm, I am not a, a lawyer. I'm not someone that understands this language. And, you know, so it was basically a miracle, but he had it all there. I put it on a Word document. I just plugged in what I think might go. I sent it in and boom, we started the not-for-profit 501c3. I named it and uh, I started applying for grants. So I got a grant from the Alzheimer's Foundation of America. No, the first I started a, a GoFundMe and we raised about like 4,000 something dollars and I did a pilot episode. So I called my musicians in and we, and, and we, we did a pilot and we started playing the pilot and, and I was like, okay, this, this really worked well. This could be tweaked and blah, blah, blah. And then we got a grant from the Alzheimer's Foundation of America and did our next episode. And then started getting the ball rolling. And now I only showed these videos at the facilities that I was working at. So I knew when it worked and when it didn't. And, and I knew for who it worked for and, 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 like really well. And I knew these residents so well. So I was basing it like off of real people and how they would respond. So I started slowly collecting uh, one video after another. And, you know, by the end of four years, I had four 30 minute videos done. And I was like, this is great. So how do we package it? So that brings us up to date. Of this year in February, I left my job. I started to um, uh, do this full time and contract with with different facilities. And um, okay, I left it. I left two important things out. When COVID happened, I always had. Con- um, I was always a supervisor, a music therapy supervisor at Mo- for Montclair State University music therapy students, as well as other students. But Montclair State was always my uh, stable uh, a school. So none of the nursing homes and assisted livings would take any students during COVID. So I said, I said, whoa, um, I can't take you. And the the schools didn't have any internship sites. So I started taking students at my house at Tommy Tom's and we started filming the videos together and coming up with these session plans and, and making sure all the clinical, the care plans were in place. What were the therapeutic goals? And, and I, I had a team of people that I couldn't do it alone. I couldn't do it without them. And then, that, so that's during the two years, how the videos really came to life. I met a a PR marketing person actually on LinkedIn and she uh, helped me package this stuff. Um, and we, we found a platform called Thinkific and Thinkific is an educational platform, but it hosts all the videos and each video has pages of uh, resources. So not only do you, uh, say, say we have um, a sing-along. So with that is nine pages of the benefits of singing, uh, of, of, of singing with, if someone has aphasia, singing from a stroke perspective, from dementia. So the care, the, the care team doesn't have to make up what, what, 
what is therapeutically happening, which I always had to do. Administration would always be like, can you spell out the, the goals of each of your programs? So, you know, you know, it's justified what, what you're doing, you know? So I'm trying to, to, to get rid, get that process out. So everybody has, when you play this, it's working on range of motion. It's doing this, it's doing that. It's working on socialization. It's, it's helping short-term memory. It's, it's all spelled out. And then not only that, after the video, there's a, there's a discussion question. So say you do the video for, for 30 minutes, then the facilitator now has a whole group of discussion questions related to the content we just, uh, the, 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 the content we just absorbed. So therefore there's a residual that's connected to what we just did. Then there's crossword puzzles and word searches for the people able to do that. But the idea is that we've just given information and we want to, um, we want to maximize the benefit of that and have residual and not just cut it off with, with, with commercial television, which was happening. I I'd do a program and then judge Judy or the five o'clock news or, and it, it was almost like everything we just worked to gain was sort of, it seemed like it got buried after, after the, the unhelpful commercial TV that's being blasted and the radio on in the background and the people talking that, you know, so a combination of things. So, Anyway, so this is what sort of, um, this is what motivates. I, I know there's a huge need for this type of program. Everybody has gaps of time where, you know, it's not concentrated. There's probably a lot of falls that might happen when wandering behaviors and sundowning happens. And, and this could solve a lot of issues and, and ultimately save people money and, and help their bottom line. And um, so I yeah, love it. So that's, I love it. I really, I think, I mean, as someone that works in the field with, with the, you know, with senior population, there's definitely, there's a huge need for every age group, but definitely for that age group um, and for their caregivers. So I, I I really think that it's such a valuable tool and tools that you're doing. And, and I think it's amazing how you built your, you know, your own uh, not-for-profit and how you're getting these grants. I think it's so out of the box and so, so crucial, so needed, but so um, unavailable you know? Um, and I think you're making it available and I think that's really amazing. Um, I think it's really good work and I, and I'm happy, you know, I'm so happy that you were able to share that with our students and I'm happy that we're able to share this today with our listeners. So, um, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, oh, my pleasure. Had, it's so how, wonderful how can, talking to you, you know, uh, it, it's, it's rare that you talk to someone that's in a, a professor role, but is, is actively, uh, working with, with, with people, uh, you know, um, and not getting stuck in the world of academia, which whatever, there's a place for that, but it's, it's, it's really, you know, it's refreshing. Yeah. No, it definitely, it makes, it definitely makes my job more interesting for students. That's for sure. Um, can you share with us how people can find you on social and also if you have, um, like a final tip for our listeners? Yeah. So LinkedIn is my, my choice of uh, social uh, media network, but I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. Um, and I started doing some TikTok stuff, uh, not my, uh, <laughs> it's uh, more for my kids, but, uh, <laughs> but you could find me there uh, with uh, just typing in Marlon Sobel and the name is Kami Toms. We have a website, which is KamiToms.com, K-O-M-I-T-O-M-S. And, um, and if you have any questions, you could uh, just fill out, there's an inquiry and it, the email goes right to me. 
So it's easy to get in touch with me. If you need to call me, my number is 516-457-5390. And um, in addition to uh, the the music therapy work we're doing, um, I'm also an active performer. So I have a CD coming, not a CD, an album coming out, which will be on all the digital platforms, which I'm very excited about because I feel that the, the, the artist in me really feeds the, keeps the inspiration going and, and, and gives that to the clients and the people I'm, I'm engaging with and it, they, they feed each other. So um, that's going to be the Moshe Sobel bands. So in a mm-hmm. week or two, you, you could type that in and um, you'll hear some fresh music that I composed and um, played with, with phenomenal musicians. And um and then, yeah, and then you'll see me out there. I try to post very regularly all the things I'm doing. And um, and and I guess I just, I, I know you asked me before, um, just a message for the OTs um, to, uh, you know, music is such a powerful tool that um, if you're finding that, you know, uh, something might not be working, just ask a simple question. What's your favorite song, you know? And, and that might even just, change the mood and, and, and make or break a, a successful, uh, you know, session versus an unsuccessful session. I, th- I think that's great. I think that's a great tip. And I hope that our students and practitioners will definitely use that. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our podcast is sponsored by TrueLearn. If you go to TrueLearn's website, you can learn about all of their products for OT students. They are a great tool. And if you use the code ROBIN20, you'll get a discount on your package. Have a great day, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Thank you to the student contributors. If you liked it, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google. You can also follow us on social media, on Facebook at MyOTJourney, and on Instagram at MyOTJourneyPodcast. Thanks for listening. Go OT!